Greetings to you at whatever time of day or whichever day you're listening to this. In our series, Sit, Walk, Stand, in which we look at Paul's letters to the Ephesians, we've now come to chapter 3, which is the end of the sit part. So I'm going to read that chapter to you now. This is from the English Standard Version. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence for our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be renewed with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for ever and ever. Amen. Now, when I was preparing for today and reading for this chapter, uh, my initial response was, well, what else is there to say beyond what's already been said by Sam, Peter and myself in the first two chapters? Now, in one sense, that shouldn't be too surprising because these three chapters are whole. They're not a series of separate, independent thoughts by Paul. You have his introduction and then he's praying for the Christians. And so therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we see themes coming again and again. In verses 1 to 6, he talks about the mystery of Christ. Now, I don't know what image you have when people talk about mysteries. But the concept at Paul's time when he's, and in the early church when they talk about a mystery is not so much something which is mysterious now but something which was mysterious in the past 
but has now been revealed. Because as we can see in this chapter, when he's talking about the mystery of Christ, he's not saying this is something nobody knows about and only myself and a few others know about it. He's not saying this is something you haven't known about. He's saying this is something which was revealed. And the mystery in Christ is that the kingdom of God, the family of God, is no longer just for the Jews. But as it says in verse 6, the Gentiles are also fellow heirs, members of the same body. Now, before the time of the apostles, there were only hints of this. So he refers to the prophets, and you find particularly in, say, a prophet like Isaiah, hints that the good news is going to be for all nations and not just for the Jews. You see it also in the Gospels, where Jesus is meeting people. You see hints that he, although he is primarily going to the Jews, as he says so himself, on the other hand, there's links in to other peoples as well. But primarily, this was revealed through the apostles, not just Paul. Again, looking in the Acts of the Apostles, we can see that Peter and the other apostles also did so. So it's not something which was suddenly being expressed by Paul. Where Paul comes into this is that he specifically was an apostle called to the Gentiles. So with the other apostles, sometimes it seems to be a bit of an add-on in what we have recorded in Acts. Although the traditions of the early church are that many of the original apostles ended up taking the good news to other nations, even as far as India. However, because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, it's something which he particularly wants to get over. But in God's glorious wisdom, he uses Paul, who you would think would be the last person. It's often said that Paul, if you like, was the founder of the Christian church in the sense that uh, through his letters and through his teaching, particularly to the Gentiles outside uh, the land of Israel, that that is what the church was founded on. However, he is very clear that he is himself a Jew, as is we hear, read of in his other letters, but also that he is no longer sees that the church is restricted to the Jews. It's something we take for granted because of the period of time we live in, but it's something we shouldn't take for granted. We should appreciate time and time again the fact that the good news of Jesus is good news for us is because of God's glorious plan in Jesus, that it would not, that the Jews whom he had called as his people to be a light to the world, now that light is spreading beyond that small territorial 
part of the Mediterranean to the whole world. And over the centuries there is now no part of the world where the good news of Jesus Christ has not reached. So we should be grateful that we're included in that. We should be grateful for the benefits we have because of people who over a millennium ago brought the good news of Jesus and the way that the people responded and it's being worked out over the centuries in this nation. Following on, this leads us into verse 10, where Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. With this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised, that God has realised, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the fact that the church is made up of many different peoples from across the world is a sign from God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Those spiritual powers which the Bible refers to occasionally but not in any great detail which are behind the uh, political and ruling powers we see on the earth. Tom Wright in his uh, comments on this letter I think uses an extremely good illustration for this so I'm going to read it to you. Talking about the fact that the church is now from all peoples. It is precisely this many-sided, many-coloured, many-splendid identity of the church that makes the point. God's wisdom, Paul is saying, is like that too, like a many-faceted diamond that twinkles and sparkles with all the colours in the rainbow. The rulers and authorities, however, both the earthly authorities and their shadowy heavenly counterparts, always tend to create societies and social structures in their own flat, boring image, monochrome, uniform and one-dimensional. Worse, they tend to marginalise or kill off people or groups who don't fit their narrow band of acceptability. The church is to be, by the very fact of its existence, a warning to them that their time is up, an announcement to the world that there's a different way to be a human. So we should celebrate the diversity we have in the church. We should also desire to see greater diversity than we have already. It's the principalities and power who bring boredom and uniformity and everyone the same. God has created us all as individuals. He has created us with different cultures. He has created us with different outlooks on life. And therefore, we should celebrate that diversity. Obviously, we need to make sure that what we do is in line with scriptures and God's teaching. But anything which is not counter to that, we do not need to conform to some sort of stereotype of what a Christian should be. Because Christians should be from all parts of society, all ethnic groups, all social parts of the society we live in. 
as we go on through this and come to verse 14, Paul really gets back into the prayer, which he started, I think, in verse 16 of chapter 1, where he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's praying for these Gentile Christians that they have wisdom and knowledge of God. So let's keep praying that for ourselves because it's something we need. I'm going to read the end of his prayer and then just make a comment on it uh, from an article I read on the Unheard website uh, on Monday this week. So from verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power for his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Let us keep praying that for ourselves and for each other in the church. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Once we get a grasp of the breadth, length, height and depth of God, of what he does, and the love of Christ, we are not limited in what we can understand that God can do. I know I find it for myself at times that I think, well God, when are you going to, going to see a breakthrough in our town? When are things going to change? Things are in God's hands. We keep praying that God will work and that we'll see the outflow of that soon. But whether it's soon or later, God is at work. Now the article I mentioned was written by Maurice Glassman, who, looking up his biography on Wikipedia, is both a life peer who sits on the Labour benches in the House of Lords, but he's also a senior lecturer in political theory at London Metropolitan University and he's the director of their Faith and Citizen programme. Now the actual title of the article is Iran's Revolutionary Hell and the subtitle The Country is Still Trapped in the Events of 1978. And it goes into the background to the Islamic Revolution in Iran he goes in, in the article, partly to the interaction between Britain and other parts of the West with Iran during the time of the Shah. And what happened where the Westerners were thinking that the Shah would be replaced by uh, liberal politicians and actually is replaced by the Ayatollahs. And making the point there's no going back to the old uh, hope that somehow uh, liberal politicians would take over in Iran. And it's a very interesting article. I would strongly recommend reading it. 
but having read all of that, I was a bit surprised when I came to the last two paragraphs. So, background I've just given you gives you these helps you see the start of what he's saying. He says the following: The Iranian left has been utterly routed, and the middle class lurk in North Tehran playing cat and mouse with the Committee for the Promotion of Virtue and Prevention of Vice over how much hair women can show in public. And yet the yearning of Iranians for something better and different cannot be stilled. It remains a crime in Iran to speak to others about Jesus or to claim that you have a relationship with him. And yet the number of Christians there is now estimated to be close to a million. There is a network of underground churches. Bibles are smuggled in and passed from hand to hand. The numbers continue to grow. It seems that for thousands of Iranians, the only way to get rid of this regime is to change your religion. That is the long story in Iran. The desert church is lighting its candles for the Prince of Light once more. God is doing amazing things in Iran, beyond anything we could imagine. He too will do things beyond what we can imagine here in Faversham, in our country. Let us pray that we will see it in our day and that we'll see it soon. Thank you.